0: Well, there we go. We're back, and we are going to continue with the book of Nehemiah. It's been such a blessing to study this this week, so I hope you're blessed uh, as well. Uh, So turn there, chapter 4. Turn there to chapter 4. And I'm just going to review just very quickly. Oh, good. Very quickly. How'd that go up? Did somebody do it okay well we're getting high tech here that's cool well do you remember this i'm going to take you all the way back way back to the beginning (laughs) maybe you're tired of that but uh, i don't know how you would know the book of nehemiah unless you knew the story and god in the old testament prophesied that judah was going to be taken captive by babylon (laughs) And he did it in around 739 B.C., 730 B.C., 710 B.C., right in those ranges. Isaiah 6, right? Isaiah 11 and 12, and Isaiah 39. If you need a Bible, too, they're on the back table. Yep, grab a a Bible and look in the table of contents, anybody. This is kind of an obscure book. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 4. So... God prophesies around 740 B.C. that Judah is going to be taken captive, and prophecy was fulfilled in three waves. I'm going to tell it to you a lot. Three waves. These enemies came in Babylon and took the Israelites out 605 B.C., 597 B.C., and then the ultimate one in 586 B.C. And they were to be there for 70 years. And that's a whole nother story why they were to be there for 70 years. But they were. They were to be there for 70 years. And they were. And so um, we know in Daniel 5, around 539, 538 B.C., the world power in Babylon, the Babylonians, get overtaken by the Persians. That's important. Because in 538 B.C., the king of Persia from Babylon says, Hey, israelites you can go back to jerusalem and build your temple right and so um they begin to do that and they actually come back in three waves so they're taken out in three waves they're sent back in three waves and the three waves are 538 bc 458 bc that that first one was under zerubbabel 458 BC under Ezra, 445 445 BC under Nehemiah, and you're like, okay, that's enough. My eyes are glazing over. It's a lot of history. But it's important that you know they were taken out in three waves, they come back in three waves, and we're now studying, listen, a people group that had been taken out of their homeland to a, a conquering nation And now they've returned to their homeland, and God orchestrated it. Some of the most um, devastating, powerful entities, uh, kingdoms of, of all time, God works in their hearts to let the Israelites come back to Israel. This is the Old Testament, and that's what's happening here. And what's really interesting about this story is there's this guy named Nehemiah that's the name of the book even i can get that one right there's this guy named nehemiah who's naming comfort or comforter which is another word for the holy spirit and this guy named nehemiah who's up in babylon when he gets some reports after the temple is built and all those sorts of things he gets some reports that oh yeah but your walls and your gates are still fallen and the city's in rubble and this guy nehemiah this is the part I want you to know. It's just a four-letter word. He cares about the things of God. He could have stayed up in his comfortable place up in Babylon, right? But he 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 orchestrates this coming back of this third wave of people, Israelites, to come back into the uh, into the area, and then he begins to build the walls of the city and the gate, right? Now one of the things that we talked about and i think you should you should know for yourself is that uh, you know the old testament is a picture or types and okay the old testament is real it's real history this stuff happened it really happened but the bible is so ingenious that in the new testament it says that the things in the Old Testament not only happened, but they were types and shadows of the real stuff. In other words, on this side of the cross, there's these real spiritual principles that apply that you can look at from the Old Testament. Okay, everybody tracking with me? And so we said that the, Old, the New Testament tells us that what we're made up, up of, Thessalonians, listen, this is what you're made up of your body, that's easy, right? And then there's two other things called your soul and your spirit. And within your soul is your mind. Everybody know what that is, right? Your intellect, your will, and your emotions, right? And with those things, you relate to other people, right? So you have your body. You have your, uh, your soul, which is your mind, the things you think about, your intellect, the will. What's your will? Well, that's easy. Your will is like, okay, I want to go to the back of the church, so I'm going to walk there. And you set your heart to do it. It's your will. You've willed to, to do that, right? And then uh, your emotions, laughing, crying, happy, sad, all that sort of thing. It's how you relate. And then there's this last thing, your spirit. And the Bible tells us that your spirit is what communicates. It's that deep place of you that communicates with the Lord, right? That can worship with the Lord. That's that spiritual part. And and so when we're looking at Nehemiah and Ezra, the book before, see, Ezra was allowed to come back to build the temple. I'm not explaining this well, but stick with me because i got a point. And the temple is representative of the place where God resides. And the New Testament tells us, now listen to this, that if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, God resides in there, in the innermost part, the Spirit. It's what communicates with the Lord. My spirit communicates with the Spirit of God, that's what the Bible says, so that I can call him Dad. The creator of the universe I can become a child of God I can call him dad through the blood of Christ okay everybody tracker with me that's the temple but then the walls were in disarray and there was rubble and the gates weren't made and so that's representative of you know the physical part of you the physical part of you and also that place that allows other people in and out so to speak which is your soul. So your soul and your body, and that's kind of a representative of that. Now, just stick with me. So chapter one of Nehemiah, just real quick. Nehemiah comes back, the comforter. He prays for his people. He comes back to view the wall. We talked all about it. Then he started uh, uh, to, to look at the wall and examine the wall and all those sorts of things. And finally, he starts to rebuild the wall, and that's chapter 3. So if you didn't come last week, I just caught you up. But now, listen to this, folks. Now in chapter 4, it's the same principle. You see this principle all throughout the Bible. It shouldn't surprise you. Look, Just turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Acts is in the New Testament. Look at this principle. It's everywhere in the Bible. I'll just pick this one out. In Acts chapter 10, God does a new work. If you don't know this, you need to know this. This is a pivotal work in the book of Acts, in the the history of the church. In in chapter 10, there's this guy named Cornelius. He's a Roman. He's not Jewish. But he's a God-fearer. He adheres to the Jewish customs and traditions, and he asks Peter after both of them have had an experience with the Holy Spirit to come and meet with him and to preach to him and his household, and so he does. And that's the gate that opens Christianity up to the Gentile world. What's Gentile world? Anybody that's non-Jewish is a Gentile. But it doesn't just stop there. In chapter 11, listen to this, in verse 19... Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, a guy got uh, martyred for his faith, these people from Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. You see this? Now watch. Here's a a major move of God. This is the first time, the first time that the Christian church deliberately preached to a non-Jew. And they were people from Cyprus on an island in the Mediterranean and from Cyrene, which is in Africa, and they don't name the people, which I think is really cool. Who cares who takes the credit? In God's economy, who cares? We're not competing. But anyway, they go and they come to Antioch and they speak to the Hellenists. Now that's tricky if you have a new King James. And the reasons it's tricky is because earlier on in in Acts, there were Jewish people and Hellenist Jews. That's not what this word is. This word means Grecian, and even I know where the Grecians are from. Greece, which means they're non-Jews. So in the prior chapter, I said deliberately preached to a non-Jew. Cornelius actually invited a Jewish man, Peter, to come and preach to him. Here, the first time, the Christian church deliberately went and preached to to a non-Jewish person. Now, why did I tell you all that? Because look what chapter 12 is. This procurator, this person who ruled over the area, persecuted the church. Trouble rose up, and he actually killed James, the brother of John. John and James were brothers, and there was a third guy who was part of the inner circle. His name was Peter. So, in other words, One of the inner circle, James, was killed, and then Peter was put in prison. By the way, this has nothing to do with my point, but it's something interesting. James was killed. Peter survived. He came out of prison. Which one got the better of the deal? Well, some may argue James because he's present with the Lord. You see that? We think in a different way if we're not of the Lord. Okay, the reason I'm telling you this is Acts 10 and 11, God's doing a major work, and as soon as God starts to do that work, opposition rears its ugly head. You get it? I wanna tell you something. What are the things that oppose us? Well, there are three things. To the Christian, there's three things that oppose us. Three, that's it. But they're kinda complex. And the first thing is the world. What's the world? Well, in first John two, fifteen and seven, fifteen through seventeen, to the Christians, John writes, Don't love the world or the things in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him, for that is in the uh for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The world is against Christians. What's the world? It's the world's system of thinking. Now, you hardly know that the world and the church, Christian church, are at odds. Just go out on the news tonight and you'll see. Okay, the second thing that we war against, or that's our enemy, is our flesh. What's our flesh? It's our old sinful nature. It's the nature we inherit at birth. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you live your life according to the flesh. A Christian is to walk according to the Spirit. That's not something I'm saying spiritually superior. I'm just reciting the Bible to you. See, the Bible is interesting. It tells you who you are, not just who God is. It tells you who God is, but it tells you who you are. And without Christ, you're a person who walks according to the flesh, not according to the Spirit. Everybody tracking? And in Genesis 5, it said, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Uh, 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 just like what I'm trying to say here is, Adam and Eve had sons and daughters in their own likeness. Seth, and then after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. In other words, the world bears children according to the world. <laughs> If you sow to the flesh, the Bible tells you, to your old sinful nature, by the way, how can you really tell your old sinful nature is at work? Oh, it's so easy. It always thinks about me, myself, and I. Always. I deserve a break. I deserve this, right? And so we're always thinking about ourselves. So the flesh is our old sinful nature. And then finally, there's another uh, force that's against us that's the devil. You say, wait a minute, do you really believe in the devil? Well, the Bible does. Be controlled, self controlled, and alert, one one, uh, translation says in 1 Peter 5 your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So you have three enemies. They're the enemies. There are the things that can come against you. Now turn back to Nehemiah. He's starting to rebuild the wall. He's a fantastic leader. He's building the city of God back up in the Old Testament, Jerusalem. He's starting to get that wall put together, and he's got all these people working together. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. He's got these people working. They're on the same. By the way, you know how long it took to build the wall? 52 days, folks. Nehemiah was a killer leader. I mean, he got things done, and he did it in the right way. And this wall, you know, the walls were big. Well, anyway, look over here in verse 4. It so happens, chapter 4, not verse 4, Nehemiah, that when Sanballat heard. Sanballat is back in chapter 2, verse 9. He's an enemy of God. He's from Palestine. He's an enemy of God. Guess what his name means? Strength. When you're doing a major work for the lord or any work for the lord guess what's going to come against you in full strength the enemy the world the flesh the devil is going to try and knock you out by the way well i already said it i mean if you're not in christ you're outside of christ and you are a child of the world but the good news is, how do you, what do you do? You just receive, believe and receive, confess and repent, and you ask the Lord to come into your life, and now you've become a child of God. He forgives your sins, past, present, and future, and that's another amazing thing. He not only forgives your sins, but he provides you a future. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, listen, you know who you are. When you don't surrender your life to Jesus Christ you spend your whole life searching for who you are and by that time we die. Okay, chapter 4, Sam Ballot. Strength comes against the rebuilding the wall. Listen to this. He was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. You know you could go back into uh, Matthew 9 when Jesus was healing someone. It said that there were people while he was healing that mocked him, ridiculed him. Jesus, it happened to Jesus himself. And you know what it says in the next line? He moved them outside of the house. He moved them outside of the house. Now, why am I telling you that is because there's a lot of people, folks, when you start to do a work of God who are going to come against you, and they're going to be indignant, furious, mad, and they're going to ridicule you. And you can choose to let that sit and hit and sink in and roots of bitterness and damage you and injure you, or you could do this. You can move the mocking out. And how do you do that? Well, we're going to learn that today. Nehemiah preaches to himself just like David did. He preached to himself. And what does he preach? He doesn't preach self-help. Pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Don't let anything bother me to be you know a tough guy if you're a guy or a a tough lady if you're a lady no 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 that's not what uh, nehemiah preaches to himself that's not what daniel preaches to himself they always preach to themselves who the lord is and who they are in response to who the lord is if you want to know the secret of life here it comes know who god is and know who you are in response to who god is and when you get that figured out by the way the bible does it through the holy spirit it's just a manner of speaking. When you get that uh, figured out, your life has meaning. What do you mean it has meaning? Well, let's think about this. Now, let's think about this. How does my life have meaning after I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ? Because in John 1, do you know this? As many as received him, Jesus, to that person, he gives the right to become a child of God. So what is the first thing that happens after your sins are forgiven, the power over sin, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, what happens immediately? You come into a family, and now listen, this is what people are searching for all throughout the word, world. Kids are searching for this, folks. There's this thing now, you belong. <laughs> There's God just like, come to me, come to me, come to me, you belong to me, you now belong somewhere. You ever been somewhere and you didn't belong? It's a drag, man, it hurts. Somebody didn't pick you or you go to a party or something and you're just an outcast or something and you don't belong. God says, if you'll just come to me, you belong. Well, that's the first thing. Now watch this. What's the second thing? God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which shows me something else. Not only do I belong, I and you and we have incredible worth because the Lord of the universe would send his son to die for me. And I always say this, and it shocks people, and they think, well, Pastor shouldn't say that. But I got four kids, and I just got to tell you, I ain't sending my sons and daughter for somebody else. I couldn't do it. I mean, I I remember when I was a kid and I would read Abraham and Isaac with that knife, and I'd think, because I knew I wanted to be a parent, a dad. Don't make me do that. Don't make me do that. I don't want to do that. But see, here's the point: Jesus died, so we don't have to do that. The sins are forgiven. God sent his only son, which tells me something. Not only do I now belong, I'm worth something. And so are you in Christ. You see it? How about the third thing? He sends us the third person of the Holy Spirit to do what? He does a lot of things. But one of the ministry is he gives you power and resource to accomplish what God's calling you to do. So check this out. Not only do you belong... You're of worth, and you have the power and the resource or the competence to accomplish what God calls you to accomplish. And by the way, the Bible tells us that by His divine power, we have all things, and in the Greek that means all, <laughs> for life and godliness. We have everything available to us for life and godliness. Isn't that beautiful? In Christ Jesus. So you belong. You have incredible worth, and now you have power or the resource to accomplish what God calls you to do in life. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm not a pastor or I'm not a missionary. The Bible tells us whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. If you are a, um, I don't know, if you're a house mom or if uh, you work for waste management and you pick up garbage or uh, nothing, Listen, the Bible tells us, do that as unto the Lord. That's worship unto the Lord. Your work can be worship, you see. So you need the competence to do that, and the Lord will provide you that. Isn't that amazing? Okay, why do I tell you all that? Because Nehemiah, I think, knew all this down deep. How do I think I know that? Well, keep going with me with chapter 4. They mock him. They're indignant. They're furious. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete it at a day? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish? They're making fun. They're making fun. Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, another enemy, was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their uh, stone wall. In other words, they're not very great builders. If a fox went up there, it'd come tumbling down. And this is fascinating. This is totally fascinating. You know, when somebody does that to me, you know what happens to me? The flesh starts to rise up. I talked to somebody about this a couple weeks ago. (laughs) You know what I want to do? I'm just thinking, hmm, how can I respond and get them back? They're doing, and they're mocking, and they're ridiculing. I'm going to strike back. You never see it with Nehemiah here. They're making a public spectacle. They're, they're, They're accusing him of things. They're doing things, and he never replies with insults back. Why do you think that is? Here's why I think it is. Because he knows how solid he is in the Lord. Now you say, well, that's pastor speak. Well, do me a favor. This is the message for everybody out there that doesn't know any doesn't know what's happening in their life or they're struggling. Or it's the message, or and it's the message for all kids. It's what we should be teaching our kids. It, go with me. Turn with me to Ephesians 3. <laughs> I promise you I got a point. I think. Nehemiah is the poster child for these verses right here. You ready? He doesn't respond in insults. He's a highfalutin leader who's been publicly ridiculed and mocked by enemies when he has, remember, the backing of the king of Persia to come and do this. He could call out to the king of Persia through some letters or whatever, the, the, the system, and say, come down here and annihilate these guys. You get it? And he doesn't even respond. But what he had learned, I'm sure of it. You can read, and read with me, in Ephesians chapter 3. He learned this principle. This is a New Testament principle, but he learned it about God. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. In other words, God himself, the creator, can grant us, that's grace, according to his riches of glory, his big riches, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in our inner man or woman, in our inner person. You need inner strength? Okay, folks, it's not by developing it yourself. It's by calling upon the name of the Lord, and he'll strengthen you inside. And that's what we need some days. Some days we don't feel like getting out of bed, right? Some days something this, you need strength in the inner man. So do I. And here's the verse in 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And here it comes. This is what I think Nehemiah knows. If you understand this, who God is and who you are in response and how much he can or how much he loves you and pours out his grace upon you look at this watch this and if you if you know that you're rooted and grounded in love your whole life is just anchored in the love of god guess what you don't care about insults that's so trivial because you're listen you know i'm going to say it this way you're comfortable in your own skin you're deriving your source and sati- of satisfaction from the one true and living God, you don't need likes on Instagram or retweets. You couldn't care less about that. You couldn't care less about people who insult you. You're doing something for the Lord. You're rebuilding the walls here. You're doing something for the Lord. Let them let mock me. I'm preaching to myself. Let them mock me. They're of the world. They don't know. God has called me to something, and I'm going to keep doing it. I'm rooted in his love, not somebody else. Are you catching that? All right, so watch. So he does that, and he says in verse 4, "Hero, God, he starts praying. Instead of criticizing or hurling insults back, look what, look what Nehemiah does. He prays back. He just prays, hear, O God, for we're despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Don't cover their iniquity and don't let their sin be blotted out. Do you think that sounds mean? I don't think it's mean. You know what I think he's praying? According to God's character. God's not mean, of course, but God punishes sin. I think he's, he knows God. I think he's intimate in a, in a good way with God. And he's just saying, Lord, punish them for what they're doing, for they've provoked you to anger before the builders. So look at this. So we built the wall. So look what he did. He didn't retaliate. He, he preached to himself. He rooted himself in the love of God. And then he prayed. He prayed according to the character of God. And then guess what he did? He kept working. So he built the wall. He didn't get hung up on the mocking and the insulting. He just kept working, and the entire wall was joined together up to half for the height. For the people who had a mind to work. Now watch this: if you put your finger and go back in, in just one page in mine, back in two, verse ten, there were three enemies that came against them: Sanballat, Tobiah, or yes, yeah, Sanballat, Tobiah, and then later I think they said some folks from. Arabia, right? Now watch this. Now it happened when Samballa, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, the enemies, look, watch this, are accumulating. Anytime we do something for God, you're going to get a lot of of enemies. You see that? So there's more enemies. Heard that the walls were uh, Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. What happens? They became very angry, very angry. And all of them conspired to come to an uh, an attack Jerusalem and create confusion. You know what the enemy of your soul wants to do? Make you really confused. You know what you do in response to the enemy of your soul? Don't be confused. That's my little thing. But how do you not be? (laughs) That's my little nugget for you. (laughs) Don't be confused. But how? You know the word so clearly. As much as it's up to you, you know the word. And you spend time with the Lord as he guides and directs you through the word. So when you get to a place where people are angry and you, you know, you're wondering, you know where to turn. You're not confused. You don't let the enemy confuse you. Nevertheless, we made our prayer, verse 9, to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Did you catch that? They prayed, but they prepared. They didn't just sit on the couch, eat bonbons, and pray they prayed and then set a watch. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Judah said, boy, is this really amazing. What's Judah mean? Anybody remember? Anybody remember what Judah means? It means praise. Judah is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 families of Israel. Judah is one of them. From Judah came Jesus. But remember what they were, they were their name means praise. So I want you to catch what's happening here. Nehemiah is staying strong in the Lord. He's got, uh, he, he knows he's been accepted or he belongs. He knows his worth. He knows he's got power in, you know, by God to do these things. But the Judites, if you want to, the Judahites <laughs> are supposed to be the people of praise, and they see all the rubbish and the demolished stuff and the wreck that's the city. And guess what they say? The strength of the laborer, oh my goodness, the strength of the laborer is failing. There's so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. And you know what Nehemiah could do at this time, right here? You ever been around people who are like that and it starts to rub off on you and then you start to get that way and they're like making you negative and, and uh, uh, making you not trust in God? You ever been like that and you're like, man, how did I get to this place? Oh, that's how. Not that I'm blaming them, but you, you know what I mean. Okay, so the ones who should be praising, even in the middle of rubble, are the ones who are complaining. Well, the adversaries said, oh, their adversaries are like, great, we got some of them on our side. They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So they got the, you see it? They've got this strategy now. We got them complaining. The people who should be praising, that's us, they're complaining. We'll sneak right in there and we'll get them. But then listen to it. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came Most people believe that means the Jews who dwell outside the city but were near them. They came and they told us ten times, From whatever place you turn, there will be upon us fear. So in other words, Nehemiah and his core group of people are getting a hit from all sides, right? You see that? So what he does is he positions men behind the lower parts of the wall at the opening, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your house. Now watch, folks. Your walk with God has an unbelievable impact on your family's walk with God. I hear a lot of people all the time come saying, you know what, I just want my kids to, 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 to worship the Lord and, you know, to enjoy the things of the Lord and just to know. And then you go, and so they, you know, come on, can I get them into Sunday school? And you go like this, time out. <laughs> the most important thing for your kid to work, walk with the Lord, to love the Lord, to be in love with the Lord, to be, have, know their worth, to know their competence, to know, right, is that you walk with the Lord. I get it. The Lord can do anything. He breaks those things. But, but, but if you want to have a, a, a peaceful, loving family, you will find out who God is and who you are in response to God. You'll walk this walk. You won't just talk this talk. And your families will be affected. You'll be, look at this, you'll be fighting for your families. What do you, by the way, do they fight with? A sword. In the Bible, what is uh, in the New Testament, what is the sword? It's the sword of the Word of God. It's the Word of God. The Bible is a double-edged sword able to do real surgery spiritually in our hearts. You will know the Word. So will I. And your families will be affected. And it happened, verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, every one to his work. Everyone to his work. Nehemiah is just uh, really—he—he—he um, um, he, he, um, looks down the court over a time. He—he he understands issues. He's balanced he's secure in his worth from God, he doesn't make rash decisions even when the other people are freaking out around him, he uh, he thinks things through in, in prayerful consideration, if he needs to stop for a second, he stops for a second, pauses, but then he resumes the work, he keeps going, you see that? And he returns everyone to his work. And you can see his genius here. He was re- he's really, uh, 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 you know, an amazing God-fearing person. And it was from time to time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears. Are you catching this? Half of the people he gave shovels and wrenches and axes or whatever, no, right? And the other people he gave spears to guard. So, so he was smart. Half of you work over there. We'll guard you while you work, and then we'll switch, you know, we'll, we'll, right? Okay, so he, he's smart. He, 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 he thinks of things. He, he doesn't just, you know, always have to be asking people. He relies upon the Lord. He has initiative, but he's moved by the Lord. But then look at this. But those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves, so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with other hand they held a weapon. So it got to the place where they were building these walls and have their weapon with them, so just in case. Right? You get that? And see, that's what we're to be. Folks, this is the amazing thing. I hear people say, well, I really don't know what my ministry is. And I don't mean to be, uh, I don't know what the word is, cavalier about this, but I know what your ministry is. I'm 100% sure what your ministry is. Wherever God has put you, wherever, whether it's in the construction business or in the secular, I'm putting quotes around secular because I don't think there's a secular, right? Whether he puts you here working with a construction tool or he puts you in the ministry where you teach the Bible, wherever you're doing, it, you're to do the same thing. You're to bring in the kingdom. You're to repair walls. You're to uh, uh, establish all the things or help establish all the things that God is working in your life wherever you are if you're at a job I look in here I see nobody who works in the same place not one person works in the same place in here which means all of us could go tomorrow and impact the, uh, um, uh, the kingdom with his help for the good you see that? this is not the secular It's important too, you need the construction tool and you need the sword, which is the word of God. Be both. Wherever you go, whatever you do, just be making disciples. That's it. You don't have to spend millions of dollars in the church to find out what the church's mission is. What's the church's mission? It's easy. It's to glorify God, enjoy him forever, personally, corporately, and then teach the word, be in prayer be in communion and break bread together why would you ever spend money on a church marketing study when the bible tells you exactly what to do anyway here you go he says everyone go back and work and every one of them girded at his side as he built and as the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me then verse 19 i said to the nobles the rulers and the rest of the people look at this look at this folks the work in the kingdom of God is great. That means it's difficult, and it's extensive. It's big. You go into a city like Antioch, for instance, in the, Old, uh, in the New Testament, the first church. Antioch was a immoral, dark, rough city. God chose to put it, the, you know, the church in Jerusalem, but then where Christians became Christians, Antioch in Syria. The one place I probably would never pick, or one of the places I would never pick, God said, we're going to go there. The work is tough. The work is hard. But he says, keep at it. We're separated far from one another Uh, uh, on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us here. Our God will fight for us. Listen to this, folks. You might be saying to yourself, well, life is hard. You see what he's saying? I know it's going to be hard. Nehemiah knows it's hard. But he doesn't shy away from it because he knows he has the Holy Spirit. That's what we're to be, right? The Holy Spirit will help. He'll give him uh, the resource to do it, the ability to do it. And then I want you to see this. His eyes are focused. He says, forget looking at the wall. Forget looking at the shovels. Look at God who will fight for us. So we labored in the work and half of the men held their spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man, uh, uh, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and as working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except everyone took them off for washing. They just kept working and it doesn't work. You see this the ridicule the anger the mocking doesn't work so guess what comes more opposition and this opposition comes from within watch this and there was a great outcry and the wives of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren for there were those who said we are sons and our daughters are many therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live there were also some said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might be, uh, buy grain because of the famine. There were also th- also those, who's, I can't even talk, who said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes on our lands and vineyards, now, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. Indeed, we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It's not in our power but to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. What's happening? They're working on the l- l- wall. They're not spending as much time making the commerce. They're starting to get into debt, or they don't have any food, so they're having to buy food or buy it at credit. They're even, in fact, sounds like saying, oh, yeah, I'll pay you back. You can have a little mortgage on my land. I'll pay you back as soon as I get the money. They're not being able to pay back, and they're falling into a, like an indentured servant type of relationship with people. It seems like that's what's happening, but here's the insidious part. uh, Nehemiah becomes very angry when he hears their outcry. They're trying to do a great work of God. And these people are being enslaved, their own country people, their own countrymen and women. And Nehemiah gets mad. The Bible tells us that there is righteous anger. Here he's righteously angry. But I want you to see something. After serious thought, That phrase there in the Hebrew means he preached to himself. He considered it for a long time. He considered the things of the Lord, just like David did. David had to preach to himself. Folks, listen to this. When you get to a fork in the road, and it happens 25 times a day, 65 times a day, you get to the fork in the road where, you you know, you weren't successful at something. The opposition came, or somebody ridiculed you, or whatever. Somebody was mean to you, or you don't have enough funds. You're indebted to other people and you don't know where to turn and you're boxed in, right? Preach to yourself. And what do you preach? You preach the character of God. God knows the sparrows. He loves me. He knows the hairs on my head. He isn't going to forsake me. He's right here with me. He'd never leave me nor forsake me. He knows what I'm going through. He understands. And that's what Nehemiah did and he rebuked the people, the countrymen, the nobles and rulers who were making these usurious. They were they were doing usury. They were charging too much interest. By the way, that's all prohibited in the law of Moses. You weren't allowed to charge too much or charge interest to your countrymen and and even the strangers and what's really interesting is that the year of jubilee your debts were canceled but you weren't allowed to do it so they're breaking the law of god you know what you know what uh, look look how bold nehemiah is he calls a great assembly he calls a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? Here's relational courage, by the way. He goes to them, and he says, what you're doing is wrong. you're, You're breaking the law of God. And they maybe or maybe didn't. So he says, okay, we're going to call an assembly. We're going to take time out from building the wall. Why do you think he does that? Because if he builds the wall, and there's poison or sin inside the wall in his people it's all going to break apart anyway so he gets it right you see it we gotta do that sometimes like within the walls of our family you know we have a whole culture of parents that want to be friends with their children from the time that they're little and you can see the Bible tells us that God is the center of the universe we revolve around him but at some parents house The children are the center of the universe, and everything, including God, revolves around them. That ain't the way it works, folks. You want healthy and happy children? Put God right in the center of your family, and then we all uh, uh, respond to God, right? Of course. How do I know that? Because in Colossians, it says that your children, oh, by the way, you and me, we weren't he wasn't created for us the bible says that you're created for him big difference american church treats god many times like a butler oh lord i'm doing this thing i want you to bless it and i need it by monday that's what we do and if monday comes and our prayer isn't answered when we should just you know it's the other way around we're for him we're for him that's who we are that's what the bible reveals to us so, why am I saying all this? Is he has this relational courage and he uh, has to talk with uh, and, and get things right within the walls, like sometimes we have to get things right within our walls, right? Not in an ogreish way, like trying to slam somebody. But what, we just have to get it right. And here he sets them right. Listen, we can't be doing that. What should you be doing instead of uh, 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 charging everybody a uh, usurious thing? What are you doing is not good. Shouldn't you not walk in the fear of our God? That's what people should be doing. Not cheating other people within the church. Not slamming other people in the church. Not gossiping with other people in the church. Let's each one of us fear God. Oh, by the way, Proverbs says, the big, don't you need wisdom to live in this life? Don't you need wisdom? Man, it's sure, right? you got to walk wise. Well, Nehemiah knew it. You know what the proverb says? Proverbs says, the fear of God, beginning of wisdom, fear of God. You want wisdom, you'll fear God. You're like, what, fear God, like recoil, like a horror movie? No, respect and admiration and awe. And that's what he tells his people. Within the walls of your house or the walls of your city, you want things to get healthy there you fear God and have all the people in your house fear God now listen they're free choice moral agents right so they're gonna make choices but as much as it's up to you you can feed them and they they can see your relationship with God and how fruitful and beautiful it is and then they want to come and get from that mom dad that's what we're to be doing friends that's what we're to be doing Well, uh, they wanted him to fear God because of the reproach of the nations. I also, verse uh, 10, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Hundreds of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you've charged them. So they said, okay, we were wrong. We'll restore it. And we'll require nothing from them, as you will say. Remember, this is the timeout on the wall. They're getting everything inside the wall, the people, back on track, so to speak. That's where we are. So he called the priests and required an oath from them <laughs> that they would do according to the promise. Because you know one of the things that made Israel go into a, a downward spiral is their religious leaders, their, their, their godly leaders turned ungodly. And here he's saying, no, I want you to do it. This takes relational courage. If you're the one who's leading people in the religious part of life and people break the law, guess what you got to tell them? You're breaking the law. See, out in the world, the world says, live and let live. The Christian life says, no, if my brother is sinning, I'm to go with them, go to them and say, hey, you're sinning, man. But not so that you can be spiritually superior, but so that you can restore that one back into the fold. That's all it is. And if they won't listen, then you take two or three elders and go talk to them. And if that won't listen, then it's more um, uh, devastating, that discipline. But here he's saying, priests, you got to own up to this. you got to do this thing. If you want to get right within the walls, the priests got to do their jobs. Help the people get to God. Teach them uh, uh, the word of God. Well, what else? Then I took out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Sort of like a prophetic thing, like a symbol. Like, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to get shaken if you don't get right with God. Oh, by the way, we will get shaken if we're not right with God. The Bible says, outside of Christ and his blood, this is not what I'm saying, this is what the Bible says, we're children of wrath. But once we Uh, surrender our lives to Christ and have the blood applied to our life to pay all the uh, for our sins past present and future then we become into the family and we're children of God and now we know we're accepted isn't that beautiful well here he shook out his garments and all the assembly said amen and praised the Lord then the people did according to the promise moreover from the the, and, and we'll end here Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. You know, if if we were Nehemiah, folks, and we came out of the comforts of Babylon, it really was comfortable for him, cared about his brother, and went back and encountered all these troubles, right? All these things and all these oppositions and this wall and this hard stuff and people making fun of me and ridiculing me, my name being taken through the press and all the media got me. And I just, right? You know what I'd say? Man, I think I'm going to go over to the governor's house and eat up there tonight. I'm not going to have pork and beans tonight. I'm going to go get something at the governor's. Okay, look what look what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says I didn't even eat the governor's provisions, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I didn't do so because of the fear of God, because I had this relationship with God and he was telling me not to. Indeed, also, I continued the work on this wall and we didn't buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work, and at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nation." In other words, I forsook the best for me so I could bless others. Did you catch that? <laughs> so he did that. Now, that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also, fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days in abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. And then it just says, remember me, O God, or remember me, God, for good according to all that I've done for the, this people. Uh, this is a beautiful uh, piece of Scripture that I think exemplifies this verse in 2 Corinthians one twenty four. Just so cool. We don't rule over you, Paul wrote, but we are helpers of your joy. What's, what's a pastor, a leadership team, the people at your church, what are they supposed to be? People who like, uh, you know, lord it over you and ask you to you know do this and do that all the time no no we just want to help you with your joy <laughs> and sometimes uh, maybe we have to say hard things to you or whatever but it's all for the good for joy isn't that right and and so you and we as we're teaching people or leading people like nehemiah catch this you do without the best so that you can bless the people you're leading that's a good leader right that's a good leader. That's different from the world's type of leader. The world's type of leader would, you know, do all the things, be at the governor's house, do all that, and then maybe bring the people along. Here he denies all that stuff so they can be blessed. Why? Because Nehemiah is a helper of the people's joy. He had a real servant's heart. Well, so what does all this say to us tonight? Here's what it says to you tonight. As you come back from Babylon (laughs) into the place of God, Babylon is a picture of sin outside of Christ. But But these people traveled to Jerusalem where the Spirit of God resided within the temple. They wanted to be back where God had called them to live. Oh, by the way, God is calling us to come and live with him or he live with us. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, oh, that's 10 bucks, not five bucks. <laughs> if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, see, you wanna come back to the to the place of God. And the way that you do that is you, you ask the Lord, or you tell the Lord, you agree with the Lord, you are a sinner, and that you turn from that and repent, and you walk towards God, and you count and trust on the cross of Jesus Christ. His pen, what he paid at the cross to to pay the penalty for your sins and break the power over your sins. And then um, uh, you trust in his resurrection, which is that thing which gives you new life, that act that gives you new life. And you start walking towards God. That means you've come from Babylon back into the place of God. The place of God is anywhere. It can be anywhere because God comes to live in our hearts, right? And when you do that, you know right now if you've never done that in your life you know what you're going to start receiving as you start to walk towards god or look toward the things of god opposition maybe the enemy saying to you why would you do that why do you even in the church you're not good enough all these things that are lies and jesus just says anybody who comes to me if you're weary and heavy laden i'll give you rest how would he give you rest he'd be the Satisfaction for your sins. Oh, by the way, uh, if you are in the uh, uh, the family of God, you're going to if you if if you just cruise. If you just cruise in the family of God, you're not really doing anything. You're just out in the suburbs of Jerusalem. You're not paying attention to the walls, right? You're just playing your sports on weekends and you're you know, uh, playing golf and you, you've got the uh, uh, ski boat out every weekend and every, every Wednesday night and all that sort of thing. The enemy's never going to bother you. He's got you right where he wants you. <laughs> you don't pay attention anyway. He can't take your salvation, so he's going to just ruin your witness He'll just make you comfortable. That's easy. But if you're starting out to make things right, so to speak, with the Lord, and now you're going and you're you're sharing the gospel and you're ministering to the poor and you're helping the weak and the sick and you're giving to the things of the Lord, guess what's going to spring up against you? Opposition. There'll be opposition in your family. This is idiotic. You're a wacko. Born again, holy roller. All kinds of stuff people will start to say, and they'll start to say it maybe even your family or your friend circle, and that would hurt if you weren't secured in the love of God. But if you are secured in the love of God and you understand who God is, you keep going in your work, and you say, yes, I love you, but this is what God has called me to. And as you keep going, guess what's going to happen? The enemy will never stop trying to defeat you. He'll rear his ugly head again. If he can't do it by ridicule, You're going to see uh, next time, (laughs) next time he tries to be nice, the enemy tries to be nice. You're going to see that in chapter 6. He can't do it by ridicule. He can't do it by anger. He'll do it by things uh, 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 like being nice. And if he can't get you by being nice, Ezra told us, he'll do it by making you discouraged. So what do you do as we close? Huh. You learn the, uh, the character of God. You learn who God is through his word, by the spirit. And when you get to that fork in the road, guess what you do? You consider God for a long time. You preach to yourself. That's what healthy, victorious, Christian living people do. And we're all called to that. So I'm going to pray. If you have any questions... Uh, come on up after if there's anything we could pray about. I'd love to do that, pray with you. Have any questions at all? Come up and ask. Um, but here's what I don't. The Bible tells, or I want to say, the Bible tells us don't weary in doing good. The things of the Lord. Why would I keep going? Why would you keep going? Why w- you ever wondered why it's rejoice? <laughs> it's not just joy, it's rejoice. <laughs> And we, as Christians, can joy again and again and again and again. Why? Because we have a lot of energy? No, because we know who God is and who we are in response. So let's pray. Lord, thanks for this night and thanks uh, for this word that is just so beautiful that tells us who you are, Lord, and then tells us who we are in response to who you are. And as we go this week, Lord, as there's opposition, may we not strike back. May we not trade insult for insult. May we be ones who don't uh, uh, complain or grumble about anything, including the rubble in our life, but as we're called to be people of praise. Lord, if there's rubble, that's just circumstantial. But you aren't circumstantial. You're the greatest reality. And you tell us who we are in Christ. We're loved. We're accepted. We have worth. And you give us power to accomplish the things you call us to do. And we thank you for this great word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.